invite you to take a Bible and turn in the New Testament to the uh, letter 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Probably one of the best known chapters in the Bible, but often we uh, don't read it in its context, and so first part of the sermon I want to explain the context of 1 Corinthians 13 and bring a series of sermons this week and the next week or two on this. So let me tell you now, when the sermon comes to an end, it's going to be very abrupt. <laughs> Just going to stop. When we run out of time, I'm going to quit right at that point and pick it up, Lord willing, next week. So there won't be three headings in a, in a poem at the end. Or, I mean, it's just going to slam the brakes on and hope that you will come back next week. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'll begin reading in uh, the end of chapter 12, verse 27, that sets the context. Hear God's word. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, uh, the obvious answer is no, and that's the answer to all these questions that are coming now. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts, and now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection is in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Hugh Hefner was being interviewed by David Frost, and David said, Hugh, now that you have everything, all the fame and wealth and money and relationships and success, what would you like now? There was a long pause as the camera zoomed in for a close-up of Hefner, and then he slowly replied, David, I would give everything I have to find true love. When I was in Romania years ago, I met a physician who told me of a book that he had read in medical school about Frederick, who was known as Frederick the Great. He was the king of Prussia from 1740 to 1786. He was a military genius. 
He was a tremendous national administrator and economist. He was a great admirer of George Washington. But one time he carried out an experiment in an attempt to discover a new language or to create a new language. He had several orphaned newborns cared for by nurses who were told not to speak in their presence. No communication. His goal was to see if these newborns on their own would come up with a new language. But after a couple of years, there was no new language because all of the babies had died. God has made us to be relational. We need communication. Beck Weathers was a doctor in Texas. You may remember a number of years ago with the tragedy on Mount Everest when some 11 people died in, in a particular season. Beck was on one of those expeditions. He was left for dead. He was frozen near the top of the mountain. Frostbite had taken one eye. Now he was only able to see three or four feet out of the other eye. His legs would barely function. He, left, he was left by others because he certainly looked like a corpse. And yet he started slowly walking back to the highest camp. And he said it because he kept thinking about his wife and children back in Texas. And that was the only thing that kept him going. What is the source of real love? What I want us to do today is I want to tell you the context of this chapter, and it has to do with spiritual gifts. We can't discount it. Often this chapter, you'll see it in poetry books. You'll hear it read at weddings. It's, it's taken in a standalone fashion, but the context is great division within the church, the church at Corinth. And they were arguing about things. They were arguing primarily, well, among other things, about spiritual gifts. I wanted to read the end of chapter 12 because Paul gives a list, a partial list of some of those gifts. And they were arguing, rather than being a point of unity, that the body would all work and all parts with different gifts function together, they had, the gifts had become bones of contention among the church there in this ancient city of Corinth. Uh, and so he's trying to explain that, and now he says the most important thing is your motivation. It's not the gift you have, whether you're a prophet or a teacher or so forth. He said what's most important is not the gift, it's the motivation behind it. And so what I want to do today is just look at the priority of love and hopefully get as far as verse 3. And then next week, by God's grace, we'll look at the characteristics of love. Chapter 13 is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. To produce love within our hearts is a work of the Spirit of God. Uh, if we have the love of God in our hearts, that enables us to love others because love comes from God. The Bible says love is God. It is his very nature, and he loves because he is love. Our love comes from him. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of love. When you receive Christ and the Holy Spirit enters your life, then that love enters with him, the Spirit of love because that's the nature of the Holy Spirit. This is why a person who becomes a Christian has a capacity to love others in a way that they did not before. Many of us were at the Covenant Care Banquet just a few months ago, and Josh McDowell was this year's main speaker. And many of us read books that he wrote and listened to him way back. I listened to messages that Josh McDowell gave on college campuses on, uh, on tapes back when I was in high school. And I read his books as a young Christian, and I was able to sit at the table that night, and we talked about some of those things. And we talked about his relationship with his father. 
who's long deceased, but his relationship with his father was, was not good. And one of the biggest changes when he became a Christian as a 19-year-old college student was in his relationship to his father. Let me read you this portion of his testimony from the back of one of his books. He said, I had a lot of hatred. It wasn't something always outwardly manifested, but rather an inner grinding. I despised the black man, the yellow man, the red man, the white man. Why? Because anyone who was different from me was a threat to me. I was insecure. But one man epitomized everything that I hated, my father. To me, he was the town drunk. My high school friends would make jokes about him making a fool of himself around town. And while I laughed on the outside, I was crying on the inside. Sometimes, when our family had company over, I would tie Dad up in the barn, and then I would tell them that he had to go on an important business call. But when I became a Christian, God's love somehow took that hatred and turned it right around to love. Love so strong that I was able to look my father straight in the eye and say, Dad, I love you. That really shook him. Six months later, I was in a serious car accident. When my father came into my room, he said, Son, how can you love a father such as I? I said, Dad, six months ago, I didn't have the capacity to do it. But through Jesus Christ, I can love you and other people as well. I explained to him how Christ had changed me from the inside out. And 45 minutes later, he got on his knees and committed his life to Jesus Christ. When he looked up, he was literally a changed man. It was just like somebody had reached down and turned on a light bulb. Thirteen months later, he died. But in those few months, scores of people in my hometown and the surrounding area committed their lives to Christ because of my father's changed life. That is why I believe Jesus Christ is the greatest revolutionary who has ever lived. We must first love God before we can truly, I don't mean be affectionate toward others or even have a concern toward others, but truly love other people, we must first love God because the Holy Spirit gives us the capacity to love as God loves. That's to make that our aim, and that's the message of the gospel, that you and I, all of us, have sinned and deserved God's judgment. God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the penalty that we deserve for the punishment of our sins. He lived a perfect life. He loved us so much that He died for us. He took the punishment we deserve. He was buried. He rose from the dead according to the Bible. And if you truly believe and you trust in that work that Christ performed, if you receive Him alone as your Savior, declaring that Christ is now Lord, you will be saved from judgment. And you will spend eternity with God in heaven. So have you received that unconditional free gift of God's love? That's what it is. That's what John 3.16 means. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now love, though, in our life should be a priority. Many things cry out to be our priorities. But let's just look at the first three verses. Paul said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Without a question, without a question, he is talking about what we know as the gift of tongues. Sometimes the Bible translation, translation makes it sound like if I speak in an eloquent manner, like if I have great oratory. But the context leading up to this had to do with this contention about spiritual gifts, one of which was tongues. What was the gift of tongues? Here's a quick New Testament survey. Some would, in one verses we have, seem to 
see it as a private prayer language. Someone praying in English, they slip into a prayer language unknown to them in their intercessions. That's one. Secondly is a heavenly language, revelatory language, where the king sends an ambassador to deliver a message in the language of the people, though the king doesn't give the original message in that language, like at the United Nations where the ruler of a nation will send a representative to the United Nations and that person then will deliver the message. In the New Testament, sometimes, from what we read in 1 Corinthians 12, God would send a message through a person into a worship service like this and there was to be an interpreter to interpret that message and give that to the people. But the third and most prominent gift of tongues was the ability to speak in languages a person had never learned, the missionary gift. We find it in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost when 3,000 people plus are gathered. 3,000 are converted. But here were all these people gathered from various parts of the world who spoke different languages. No telling how many different languages and different dialects of the same language. And while they are there, the apostles begin to preach. The, the 12 disciples begin to preach and people begin to hear them in their own language like this. Let's say a Korean who knew no English, came to Macon, Georgia to evangelize. And he began to preach in Macon, and suddenly he not only was not speaking Korean, he is speaking English with a southern accent, with dialect known only to Macon. And he doesn't just say y'all, he says all y'all. And he says Houston rather than Houston, and he speaks of Albany rather than Albany. And he says these things, and we're like, where did this man get these things? That's how specific it was in the New Testament. It wasn't just the language, it was the dialect, it was the accent. So that in Acts, these people say, where did these uneducated, basically blue-collar guys become linguistic experts? That was the gift of tongues. Now, Paul is saying... Were he himself to have the ability to speak not only with all the languages of men, but also heavenly language, but if there's no love behind it, he says, I would be nothing more than a, a gong or a cymbal. Many of you like the orchestra. You go to the Macon Symphony when it's held here several times a year. Some of us prefer brass or strings or keyboards or percussion. I've been to lots of concerts from piano and recitals and organ concerts and classical guitar concerts and all sorts. I've never been to a cymbal concert. Can you imagine? Come this, to the Fine Arts Center at Mercer University for the cymbal concert. No, the cymbal is the most unmelodic instrument that there is. One sound, and it's usually just for, for an effect, hopefully just played rarely within the piece. <laughs> that is what Paul says. It would be like a gong or a cymbal. Basically, he says, if I've got an eloquent tongue, that you'd all be impressed with these gifts I've got and the speaking and so forth, but I do not have a loving heart, he says it's, it's worthless. It's noise. So apart from love, even one who speaks the truth with supernatural eloquence is just making noise. To be a loving person is more important to be able to speak in all the languages of earth and heaven. I don't know who said it, but I wrote it down. The greatest truths spoken in the greatest way fall short if they are not spoken in love. You and I can take a stand for truth as we should. Uh, and, and stand for what the Bible clearly teaches, but if we don't have love in our hearts, and many times that's going to come across as just noise. 
Second, he says prophecy without love is nothing. In verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. In the beginning of the next chapter, uh, we won't get into that now, but Paul speaks of the gift of prophecy as the greatest of the spiritual gifts. Now, what is the gift of prophecy? In the Old Testament, we had the office of prophet, capital P. In the Old Testament, there were just a handful of these. This was a person who had a twofold role. They would hear God's message, they would deliver God's message. They would hear what God had to say to his people, and then they would become God's mouthpiece. Well, I should say this. Some prophets spoke, some prophets wrote, and some did both. But whichever form, they were to to deliver that message. They said, thus saith the Lord. I'm told if you count in the Old Testament the number of times that a prophet said, thus saith the Lord, it comes to 221 times. They called people to turn to God to repent. They gave us the Old Testament scriptures. When you think Old Testament prophets in the office, think Moses, think Ezekiel, think Daniel, think Isaiah, think people like that. Those were the Old Testament prophets. That was the office of prophecy. God warned of false prophets that there would be those that would arise and claim to be God's spokesmen who really weren't. Jesus warned of such. Paul warned of that. John warned of that. He said they would claim to speak to God, but they were imposters. We see today the great influence of two false prophets uh, who have influence in our day. One was Joseph Smith and Mormonism. Mormonism was founded by a false prophet, Joseph Smith, in upstate New York in April of 1830. The previous month, March of 1830, he claimed to have derived the Book of Mormon from a translation that he translated from these golden plates that he had discovered with the aid of Angel Moroni. And Smith rejects basic Christian teaching. Jesus is not the eternal God. Salvation is not based by grace through faith on the death and resurrection.